we're talking about today. Let me tell you about what we're going to be talking about May 2nd through 5th at our favorite event of the year, Harbor, the 80th anniversary of Pepperdine's Bible Lecture. I hope you join me in Malibu, California, for this wonderful event. Uh, The focus for this year is God's God Loves Forever. It's a great message. I think you're going to hear some uh, people you're really going to be excited about um, from... Esau Macaulay to Bob Goff to Suzanne Stabile to Richard Beck to plenty of other voices that you're used to on the podcast. So I hope you join me May 2nd through 5th at Harbor. Uh, online registration does close April 17th. So if you would, go hurry up and register for that. And I'll see you then. Now, uh, this week, um, play my Easter sermon. Uh, before I play, I want to acknowledge one thing. Uh, I kind of riffed in the middle of the sermon on Easter. Like, that's not what you're supposed to do, but I did it uh, about insects. And, uh, you know, I swung and I missed. I used a metaphor that in my head it worked, but in practicality and in, like, reality, it uh, it just was not true. And so, you know, I get it. Like, these sting and then they die. The metaphor didn't work, but hopefully the second one will work. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about now... Just listen, it'll make sense in a second, but uh, I think I'm channeling some of uh, Richard Beck's stuff that you probably heard about in his uh, book, uh, Slavery of Death. I think that's where uh, he talks about this, but um, yeah, anyway, uh, hope you had a good Easter. Uh, Sorry this is a a day late, but uh, I plan on doing this Sunday, but uh, I'll be honest, I was exhausted. I feel like the older I get, the more exhausting preaching is. be on sleep as good as I'm getting older or or what but it definitely was that for me and my plan to uh, get this done on Sunday after was thwarted by my fatigue got the best of me but uh, luckily had some good time with my family and uh, this is a day late so I think you guys will understand and you will survive just fine but without further ado check it out thanks y'all if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. That's 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. A friend of mine named Josh Patrick was a young man when he realized that he was called to be a preacher. And so as a young man in his teenage years, he found an older, wiser preacher named Brother Bob and said, Brother Bob, will you mentor me in the way of a preacher? So Brother Bob said yes, and so day after day, Josh was taken around with Brother Bob in his Oldsmobile 88. You remember those cars, right? From one preacher thing to the next. And so one day when Brother Bob said, Josh, we're going to a funeral, Josh was not surprised at all, though he should have been. So they get in this Oldsmobile 88, and they go to one of these old-timey churches. You might have seen one of these before. All wooden Wood everywhere, wood pews, wood walls, wood floors. At the very front of the church, there is a stage, and then there is a pulpit, like an actual pulpit. And behind the pulpit, there is like one of those little pews, right? You ever see, like, it's big enough for one person, but this day, Brother Bob said he and Josh are sitting in the single mini pew on stage. And so Josh is watching a funeral from on stage for the very first time. They do the singing, and then Brother Bob gets up to eulogize. Sister Lynn. And so from Josh's pure purview, he's watching Brother Bob eulogize Sister Lynn, and he sees the face of everyone in the crowd. And there is furrow brows, there's consternation, there's a little bit of frustration. And Josh is thinking, I guess this is just what people look like during funerals. He doesn't know what's happening. 
And so Brother Bob goes on about Sister Lynn, Sister Lynn. And then in the middle of the eulogy, he stops. He says, let's pray. Let's bow our head and pray. And so Josh does this, and then he feels his hand on his arm. It's Brother Bob, and he pulls him up, and they run out the center aisle of the church, and they get in his Oldsmobile 88, and they drive off. Josh is confused. This isn't how funerals are supposed to go. And so he says, Brother Bob, what's the deal? And Brother Bob says, it's Sister Lynn. Josh says, what about Sister Lynn? And he goes, she was there. Josh says, of course she was there. She was in the casket. He goes, no, she was on the fourth row. And at that moment, Josh has a simple question to ask himself. One, did this woman raise from the dead? Or two, did Brother Bob eulogize Sister Lynn at the funeral of Sister Joan? And the answer was yes. He did the wrong person's eulogy in the wrong funeral. There are a lot of things you can get close in. Horseshoes, hand grenades. Funerals is not one of those things. What happened? That is just not the way life works because dead people stay dead. And Brother Bob never does funerals again. That's how life works. But the story of Easter makes you ask some questions about how death works. That death doesn't always work the way we know death is supposed to work. Some of you might remember the story. It was January 2nd of this year. This gentleman right here was playing a football game for the Buffalo Bills in Cincinnati against the Bengals. This man's name is DeMar Hamlin. In the middle of the game, there's a collision with another player that DeMar happens to have. He gets back up and then collapses on the field. His heart stops beating. He stops taking breath in his lungs. And a group of healthcare professionals like the ones behind him rally around him and start performing aid to him. The game is eventually stopped. He's taken to a nearby hospital in Cincinnati where he's put in a medically induced coma. And miraculously, this team of medical professionals allows him two days later to come out of this coma and he's breathing on his own and his heart is beating on his own. By January 11th, just nine days later, DeMar Hamlin goes home. This was miraculous. Some people even said he was resurrected And for as miraculous as it was, it wasn't resurrection. He was resuscitated. And it sounds very similar, but it's drastically different. You see, resuscitation brings you back to the old life you used to have. Damar came back to the life that he was living. But what you and I need isn't just resuscitation, is it? We don't need just to be brought back to the life that we used to live. We need something different. And you and I aren't the only ones that need something different than resurrection. Excuse me, different than resuscitation. Let me read to you. This is an obituary that was written by a daughter. And this is from a funeral home down in the Houston area of Texas City. And I'm going to read this obituary that a daughter wrote about her father. Buckle up. Leslie Ray Popeye Charping was born in Galveston, Texas on November 20th, 1942, and passed away January 30th, 2017, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. It gets better. Leslie was surprisingly intelligent. 
However, he lacked ambition and motivation to do anything more than being reckless, wasteful, squandering the family savings, and fantasizing about get-rich-quick schemes. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing, which he was less skilled with than the previously mentioned. Leslie's remains will be cremated and kept in the barn until Ray, the family donkey's wood shavings, run out. Leslie's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. Let that be a lesson. Get your daughters better presents for their birthday. Don't end up like this. But if this guy happened to have the medical professionals that resuscitated Damar Hamlin, this 75-year-old was brought back to life, he would still have a world of problems that being resuscitated wouldn't solve. What he needs isn't resuscitation, and what you and I need isn't resuscitation. It's resurrection. We're starting a series today looking at foundational words of Christianity. In this series, we're going to talk about words like atonement, Holy Spirit, God, faith, kingdom. But the word we're going to look at today is the foundational word for Easter. It's the word resurrection, which might seem similar to resuscitation, but it is vastly different. And so our text for today is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. So if you're physically able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Paul makes this observation about how death comes into the world. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For all, as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. Death comes into the world through the first man, Adam. In the Garden of Eden, there was no death. But Adam and Eve chose the way contrary to the way of God, and so they're removed from the garden. And once they step outside of God's intention and outside of the garden, the last enemy is first on the scene. Death appears. And now death is on the scene. So Adam brings into the world death. The first man, the first Adam. And so the second Adam, the second man brings resurrection. And so the second Adam brings something that the first Adam could never do, and that is defeat death. At the end of that section, Paul writes, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the end of it all. What's behind everything that's contrary to God is 
death, which first showed up on the scene with the first man, Adam, now will be defeated by the new Adam, the new man, Christ. Paul goes on to say these words, which we read just a second ago in service. Let me read them again. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when this perishable body puts on imperishability, all right, so this is in the age to come, when the new heavens and the new earth are brought together, when this happens, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we receive bodies that are imperishable, then finally the saying will be fulfilled. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Because sin is the sting that goes behind the last enemy, which is death. Uh, think of it like, like a bee. A, a bee has a stinger, but a stinger isn't the bee. You, you can remove a stinger from a bee. I'm not sure. Just go with this. And the bee can still live. Because the stinger works for the bee. Maybe think of it this way, those of you who watch too many mob movies. You have a mob boss who has goons that work for the mob boss. Sin is the goons that works for the mob boss of death, which is why death is the last enemy to be defeated. And so the message of resurrection isn't just that you are resuscitated to the same old problems, but that which is behind all that is wrong is finally defeated in the resurrection. And it tells us the things that feel to be limitless actually are limited. And what feels all too limited actually is limitless. Death and darkness and discouragement and defeat seem limitless in this day and age. Brokenness seems unending. But the message of the cross is it has its day. And it will come to a close. But what is limitless feels limited right now. That life feels short. Life feels like it ends. Love feels like it has limitations. But the message of the resurrection says that death might have its day, but love has its eternity. That death might have its moment, but life has forever. Because of the resurrection, everything is different. Everything is changed. Everything's changed. The Swiss psychologist, Jean Piaget, theorized that until a child is roughly eight months old, it doesn't have what he calls object permanence, which means if you put something in front of a baby and then it, it goes away, the baby doesn't think it exists anymore. Objects are not permanent until they're eight months old. Which is why when we play the game peekaboo, it seems really fun to us, but to the baby, it's a lot different story. It's like, I have a family, I'm an orphan. I have a family, I'm, it's a dark game, if you really think about it. <laughs> but go for it. Until eight, there's no object permanence. But you fast forward to the years five, six, and seven, and then we start to develop the idea that death is permanent. Then we start to think that once you die, it is over. And for the rest of your life, the message of Easter is trying to say, wait a minute, there's, 
there is a different story, that death actually isn't the end. Death may have its day, but life has its eternity. It was March of 1980, and up in Washington, Mount St. Helens started to have volcanic activity. For two months, volcanic activity was going on until the big one that hit at 8.32 in the morning on May 18th. And there was a massive eruption. And we saw this image. I say we like I was alive back then. Some speculated that this plume of of ash and dust reached 80,000 feet in the air. For hundreds of miles, the sky was blackened. Hundreds of homes were destroyed. 185 miles of road also was destroyed. It it was so hot that soil itself was burnt up. And so ash covered everything. It looked like this scene right here. You see it all the way covering a car. It was everywhere. And, And so you had people who speculated that because of this volcanic activity and this ash and the dust which covered everything... That maybe nothing would ever grow again there. Because the volcano brought death and and there was no way life could ever appear. Philip Yancey tells the story of of one gentleman working at a state park who was going through this process going, man, nothing is ever going to grow here again. And then he stumbled upon this weird patch of vegetation. Wildflowers, ferns, grass. He was standing looking at it. And he stepped back and he realized what he was looking at, that this vegetation, this, these wildflowers, this, this grass and these ferns were all there in the shape of an elk. Out of the death of this elk in an otherwise desolate area, somehow life was appearing. That out of death was coming life. It's the message of Easter, that there is death, but out of death appears life. Paul says it this way when he's writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. This isn't resuscitation that you just come back to the way you were. But now in Christ, everything is new. It's not future tense. It's not there will be a new creation. It's not one day there will be new creation. It is right now. And and many of us have understood resurrection in a rather flat way, like a a two-dimensional circle on a piece of paper that, yes, there is resurrection. And one day in the age to come, everything will be new. When Jesus comes back and the new heavens and the new earth are brought together, then there will be resurrection. But Paul is saying it is right here and right now. There is a whole new sphere of living for you to step into. That resurrection, it is about the end, but it's far more true than being just about the end. That the resurrection is something to live in the now, in the here. N.T. Wright says it this way. Here then is the message of Easter, or at least the the beginning of that message. 
The resurrection of Jesus doesn't mean it's all right, we're going to heaven now. No, the life of heaven is born on this earth. It doesn't mean so there is life after death. Well, there is, there is, but Easter says much, much more than that. It speaks of a life that is neither ghostly nor unreal, but solid and definite and practical. The Easter stories come at the end of the four Gospels, but they are not about an end. They are about a beginning, the beginning of God's new world. In a world in which we feel just how limited life feels. In a life in which it feels so limited because death seems so real. Death discouragement and darkness. And what feels more real than the message of the resurrection is the heartbreak that we all have. Easter is saying, no, there is a new beginning that's bubbling up inside of you right here and right now. Even as we are like that grass surrounded by death on Mount St. Helen, there is something new being born. Anne Lamont says it this way. She says, We are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We're Easter people living in a Good Friday world. But the problem for you and me is that sometimes the Good Friday world seems more real than the Easter message. And sometimes what feels real is the discouragement and the darkness and the despair and the lack of hope. That sometimes feels more real. And if that's you, you're not the only person. Here's a story about some of Jesus' disciples after Jesus was crucified and buried. Let me read this to you from John 21. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. I want you to imagine that scene, not, not too closely, but just imagine that scene. You have Peter, and for some reason he's fishing without clothes on. I don't fish for my hobby, so I don't understand what that's all about. But there he is, no clothes, doing his fishing thing. And Jesus appears. And puts his clothes on and rushes to Jesus. Now, fishing is not my hobby, but guess what? It's also not Peter's hobby. Peter doesn't fish because it's his fun way to spend the weekend. Peter's not fishing because it's his fun pastime. He's not doing it to hang out with his buddies. Before Peter met Jesus, what was Peter doing? He was a fisherman that Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so when Jesus died and when there was the Good Friday experience, he goes back to his old way of living. He's not fishing for fun. He's fishing because he's given up. Because what feels more real to him is not the words and the promise of Jesus, but the empty seat at the dining dining room table. What feels more real to him is maybe the regret and the shame that he has. What feels more real to him is death 
than life. And I bet he's not the only one. I bet in this past year, many of us have experienced a lot. A lot of reasons to be discouraged. A lot of reasons to want to give up. A lot of reasons to want to back away. To be overwhelmed and say, this is too much. That I am in a Good Friday world and this message of resurrection seems too surreal to me. And it's easy to step away. The message of Easter is not that you always remember. It's not that you always remember what Jesus is. The message is that Jesus always remembers who you are. But even when you forget, God never forgets about you. I had a friend who was doing a project on on this biblical concept of, of strength being found in weakness. And so he's going to interview different people about this concept of strength being found in weakness. And he goes to this one family who, incidentally, the wife had just been diagnosed with dementia. And so he asked a question that was a real sore spot, unbeknownst to him. He says, how, how have y'all sensed that, that God's weakness is, that God's strength is found in your weakness? And the wife, whose name was Rita, said, Uh, Ask me in a few years and I'll be able to tell you. And then she gets up and she leaves. And her husband says to my friend, uh, Rita's really concerned that in a few years she won't even remember who Jesus is. But I always tell her the important thing is not that you remember Jesus, but that Jesus remembers you. The message of the resurrection is that even in the place when it seems that God has forgotten, that God has lost, that God has given up, the resurrection says God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't given up on you. That story about my friend Josh Prachterick, I'm not the best at telling it. Josh has told that story many times in a way better way than I can. Uh, When when we were in our mid-20s, one of our older mentors put us together in this group of young preachers that I've been meeting with for the last almost 20 years to the point now that we're just not a group of young preachers, we're just preachers, uh, which is a little bit discouraging. And whenever we get together, we seem to always ask, Josh, tell tell that story again, and it's hilarious the way he tells it. Uh, But I haven't heard that story in in years, a couple years, Um, because a few years ago, Josh was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And at first, we thought it was going to be treatable, um, but it wasn't. And um, a few years back, Josh passed away and left behind a beautiful wife and three daughters. I think the reason I like to tell that story is because it reminds me that even when death seems to have a word about how things always go, the story of resurrection says there's, there's, there's something else here. I think I like telling these stories not just because it reminds me of Josh, but it reminds me of the faith that Josh had even in the face of death. And maybe it's because I need to be reminded that in the face of death and darkness and discouragement that there, there's more to the story, even when it feels like it's the only story. Because we know death has its day, but we gather to remember that life has its eternity. And life has its eternity and invites you to know it, not just sometime down the road, but but right here and right now. Because resurrection isn't about a day down the road, it's 
It's about a person. There's another story in John's Gospel where Jesus has a dear friend, Lazarus, who's gotten sick and he died. Jesus shows up a few days later and he sees Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And one of the sisters is not too happy when she sees Jesus because she knows if Jesus was there, this would have all been different. And this is that interaction from John 11. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha expresses the the common sentiment about resurrection for first century Jews. Yeah, there's going to be a resurrection at the end of time. We all get this. We all know the story. We all have this two-dimensional picture of how resurrection works. We got it. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus says the resurrection isn't this flat idea about something that happens down the road. It's a new sphere of living that you're invited to right now. Because you don't have to wait to the age to come to know the power of resurrection. That is eternal life. In John 17, Jesus has this beautiful prayer where he says, And this is eternal life. To know you, I'm almost done. And this, <laughs> and this is eternal life. To know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You don't have to wait till you die to know God and Jesus. It's available right here and right now. And when you know that, everything looks different. Even when you're surrounded by desolation and darkness and discouragement, it's different. Frederick Buechner has this great line where he says, what is lost is nothing compared to what is found. And if you were to set all that death is next to life, it would scarcely fill a cup. Eternity is life. This moment is death. But when you're in the moment, it's hard to see beyond just this moment. But Resurrection Sunday reminds us that death is not the end. It's just a day. And eternity is forever. In a world of discouragement and darkness, may you not lose sight of the end of the story. But there's hope and there's life. And it's available to you right now. Let's pray. God, I pray for those who are overwhelmed with just how real death feels, who know the sting of death. And, and when we read the words of Scripture, where, O oh, death, is your sting... Those of us who feel this way go, it's right here. It's in my heart. I, I know the sting. I wake up to the sting. I go to bed with the sting. The sting is always there. It's in my shame. It's in my depression. It's in my anxiety. It's in my fear. It's in my loneliness. It's in my regrets. It's in my feeling of betrayal. It is all around me. It is what I know. I know it better than the back of my hand. I know the sting. God, would you give us the ability to hear your voice? 
which speaks the words of truth, that you have life and you have the ability to create something new in us, not down the road, not in the age to come, but right here and right now. So God, our prayer is that the power of your resurrection would create something new in us today. God, for those of us who need a new creation in this moment, would you just give them a glimmer of hope, just a little nudge, just just something to say that there is life out there and that death might have its moment, but life has its eternity. Give us the ears to hear your truth. We pray this in the name of the resurrected Christ. Amen.